the Behind the Seams podcast. I'm your host, Nunzio Signore, looking to bring you great dialogue with some of the best in the world of player development. The world of training baseball players has changed dramatically during the past few years, and I'm looking forward to shedding some light here on what's the latest, what's the best, and what's really happening in the world of player development. Thanks for joining me for the ride. Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. Before we begin, I want to tell you about our new remote training programs here at RPP. We've been offering remote training for quite some time, but we always required athletes to come in-house for assessments. Now, we can do the whole assessment online, and we're really excited about bringing all of our services, pitching, hitting, and strength training, to your doorstep. So if you like what we do and how we do it, check it out on our website at rocklandpeakperformance.com under remote training in the toolbar. Thanks. Hey, guys. Welcome to the Behind the Seams podcast. I'm Nunzio Signore. And today I've got Robin Lund. And Robin is in his fifth season as as an assistant coach with the University of Iowa baseball program. Lund serves as the Hawkeyes pitching coach after working with the hitters and outfielders during his first season. Lund earned his bachelor's degree in education from Whitworth College in 1995 and his master's degree in exercise science from Eastern Washington in 1997. He earned his PhD in exercise physiology at the University of Idaho and then became a 17-year professor at the University of Northern Iowa in the Department of Movement and Exercise Science. He was also an associate professor in the Department of Kinesiology at UNI from 2002 to 2018. Lund's main teaching responsibilities were in the areas of biomechanics, anatomy, statistics, and research. During his career, Lund also served as a baseball strength and conditioning coach at several stops. He was volunteer strength and conditioning coach under Heller at UNI in 2005 to 2006. Lund also held positions at Lewis Clark State College in Lewiston, Idaho, and in minor league baseball for the Spokane Indians in 1998. This year, Lunds oversaw an Iowa pitching staff that was among the nation's best, as it ranked second nationally in hits allowed per nine innings, third in strikeouts per nine innings, fourth in ERA, and 11th in whip. The staff led the Big Ten in virtually every pitching category during the season, and it racked up a program record 609 strikeouts, shattering the previous record of 499 set in 2018. So today we'd like to welcome Robin Lund. and. Uh, Wow, man. Thanks for being on the show. Oh, of course. I appreciate it. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. I remember meeting you while I was at Steve Oster's place in Canada, and you had just got the job as the pitching coach. And we were all sitting around there talking. I was kind of like in a dilemma because my daughter was getting ready to go away to school for the first time. And you were you were already experienced with that. And you were you were like a deer in headlights a little bit because you were trying to figure out now I'm a pitching coach, right? So explain what was going on in your mind and how, how you, how- yeah, I mean, deer in headlights is, is what I felt like too. I'm sure I look like <laughs> it. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's a little unnerving to, um, you know, just get in my head just for a sec, like giving up tenure, first of all, you know, you, that was, that was kind of a tough hurdle to get over because you, you're, you're essentially thinking you got guaranteed employment and then, um, you're just going to give that up to do something that where a guy could fire you at any moment, you know? So that, that was kind of the first, the first deal. I would have never done it if I would have had to have been the pitching coach right away. Um, I was the hitting coach for one year. I was way more comfortable um, with hitting. In fact, I was 
only comfortable with hitting. I mean, that's what I'd been my whole life was work with hitters and position players. I'd never worked with pitchers in my life. And so when the rule for the third paid assessment didn't get passed, um, the guy who was our volunteer and was doing the pitching coach, Tom Gorzolani, pitched in the big leagues for a long time. He, we knew he wasn't going to stay. So as soon as that rule didn't pass that we couldn't get the third paid assistant, I knew what was coming. And Rick told me, Hey, yeah, you're going to be the pitching coach. And so he was great. I mean, Rick's awesome. He, he, he lets you um, do what you need to do to get ready to go. And so I was all over the place. I mean, I was in Toronto, I was in Arizona with Brian Conger for, for multiple days. And, and I just spent time with people and uh, yeah, it was a little stressful. Honestly, the biggest thing I was worried about was how the, the players were going to perceive. I knew you were going to say that. That was the thing I was most stressed about. And so when it got announced and the text messages started rolling in from, from our, <laughs> from our returners, basically pitchers going, Hey, Robin, this is awesome. Like we're really fired up that you're going to, that you're doing this. This is great. Then I was like, fine. Yeah. Like, that took I, some of the hiss. They're behind me. They're behind me. I can, I can just go and, and, and just went from there. So, uh, when you, when you weren't, when you finally were in charge, uh, for, with the pitching staff, uh, how did you set up shop regarding data as a new guy? I mean, you have a really extensive background with um, kinesiology and movement science and biomechanics. Um, how did you set up shop regarding data as a new guy? And how did you how did you try to? I, th- I guess maybe at sometimes it was kind of early on five years ago. I guess you kind of had to spoon feed that a little bit. Yes. So, like, if you know anything about Iowa baseball, you know we have. We probably, you know, have the best manager program in the country. We have 30 some managers that work um, for our baseball team and 12 of those kids only do analytics for us. So I was working hard before I got the job trying to like learn how to write computer code. And I was messing around with some things. And then when I got the job here is like, well, we got all these kids that that can already do it. So my code writing skills have, have ironically um, or unironically have really deteriorated here lately. Um, but the first step for us was to get some type of automation on the reporting side. We we collected a ton of data, like you have all this blast data, hit tracks, we've got track band. We just got, um, we just switched from RepSoda to portable track men, but um, we were using RepSoda on the pen and then and then track men on the field. Um, we use we use Modus or, or now uh, pulse sensors um, every day. And so there's a lot of a lot of data being collected, plus all the video we collect, right? Like every day we're collecting video, uh, not only Edgertronic, but like side video and 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 just different things. How do you get that into a into a format that it's accessible to not only the coaches but more importantly the players, right? How do you how do you get that how do you get that buy-in? That's right. Yeah. So it's like for me, it was a lot of teaching, like just going into old school professor mode. It's PowerPoints, it's um uh, it, it, like I make little videos in Vimeo and I shoot them to the guys, um, through, through our, uh, through our system and just teaching them that, uh, like what all this stuff means. So when they do get a report, they can sit down and then they can, they can actually consume it. They know what it, they know what it means. Really what you're trying to get when you're just doing a report. And this was the first thing I told our guys, it's like, look, we we're so inefficient with our reporting. Everything is like, it takes forever for people to get it. You guys are working like dogs to get it out. And um, you're not doing any analysis whatsoever. You're describing things, which is great. That's important. But that's low-level stuff. I wouldn't even call that analytics. I mean, we need to do that. But we, if we want to actually do analytics, to me, that's answering questions and doing And you need you need time to do that. So we got to get this thing automated. So, so we got the reporting structure automated. That was step one. And then after that, really the second one, the second big thing that we, that we wanted to get done was having our own uh, stuff plus formulas, right? You know, like that stuff's proprietary everybody's got their database they've got their own formula for 
for creating some type of stuff plus score um, for each pitch in the arsenal. And that was, that was kind of the next thing that we started working on. Um, so that helps with pitch design that helps with optimization, like understanding like, Hey, what, what should we be throwing the most? What, you know, what are we trying to steal strikes with? And so you get an idea of like, instead of just telling like, Hey, throw your slider harder. I've got a bunch of data to back it up. If you, if you do this X, Y, Z to your slider, your stuff plus score is going to increase by, you know, X amount. And and that really does help get buy-in too. That, um, that, that was one of the big things that we, we, when we first got our mocap, um, we were like, you know, okay, we've got a mocap now, but we have, we don't have any data. Right. right. So, so we had to, you know, we had to build that data. Fortunately, um, I was working um, with Wake Forest, at, like back and forth with them about um, some of the, some of the corrective exercises I use based off of mocap stuff in trade for multiple anonymous data. So I yeah. just got, I got I got tons of data anonymously. Like I didn't know yeah. they didn't tell me who the players were, but yeah. I got I got that data, and that that was really helped us a lot. You know, you you you, you can't do anything without it. Yeah, I mean, you know, you everything everything have. is. Yeah, is that good? I don't know. <laughs> you know, so yeah, you have to, exactly. Yeah, you need to have that stuff. So so when you okay, okay, keep going. Oh Go no, we're just now we're just building out specific tools. Um, our, our managers are building out our own uh, like dashboards for managing workload and stuff. And and we, it's not that the the dashboards and the software that come with the various technologies that we use aren't good. They're, they're, they're good. They're really good actually. Cause they're, but we want our managers to build out our own stuff. Um, it helps them become, you know, um, hireable. Um, we had five of our managers last year alone got, got jobs in major league baseball. So that's exactly, that's, that's, I, I was telling my partner, <clears throat> the thing about, what Robin does is exactly what we do here in the private sector. Um, we've developed our own assessments. We've developed, we have all the technology and we have developed systems that, that, that give us, uh, that runs it through the machine and gives us those results. Um, and also tells us a little bit about maybe which way we want to run with that. So um, our interns come in, and they they get you know they get a they get a learning process of how we do it and like you said it makes them a weapon when they go for a job in major league baseball oh for sure absolutely i mean when they can demonstrate they've got they've got some and and again if you follow the iowa baseball managers on twitter um they, we do they do blog posts all the time so they're doing their own kind of education that they're throwing out there and they're they're that's quite the crew we've got a, we got a pretty special group of kids but yeah that's awesome what well, um Bring me through a little bit what the assessment process on day one looks like in order to find the lowest sure. hanging fruit. Well, our, our assessment starts with our athletic trainer, and then we, we're, we're lucky. Um, uh, Dr. Jeff Fleming, who's the physical therapist at the University of Iowa, he'll, he'll come in and help us out. And it's just a head-to-toe you know, assessment. We just from all the way to the top, all the way to the bottom, and all the things that you would see in a traditional you know, physical assessment for a guy we're doing, uh, checking mobility in the T-spine and in the hips and in the ankles and in the shoulders. And, and, uh, we're looking at you know, scap function and, um, all that stuff, stability, balance, uh, imbalances, blah, 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 all that, all the traditional stuff that you would, that you would use. Um, you know, that's, that's obviously important. You got to flag some guys for some you know, scaps are a great example. I mean, you flag a guy for that. We got to get working on that like two weeks ago. Like it's time yeah. to go. We got to get, we got to get going on that. But if we do notice some things um, from a mobility standpoint or imbalance standpoint, you know, we may hit, sit on that for a little while. Um, and then when we, when we, when we uh, 
are making and trying to make a decision on movement pattern things. Like if we're going to make an adjustment to get to way guys moving, um, you, you need to make sure that that's not a hardware problem, right? I'll use, I'll use, you know, uh, Randy from Florida baseball armory, his terminology, right? You gotta, you gotta differentiate if this problem is software or hardware. And right. if it's hardware, you gotta fix that, you know, while you're working on, on that movement pattern. Um, our strength coach is assessing guys all the time. You know, he, every time they come in the weight room, he's doing uh, stuff with the force plates. So obviously to, uh, is this guy force deficient? Is he velocity deficient? Um, are you doing that? You know, are you doing that with like a CMJ and a squat? Is that, are you doing yeah, that with a jump yeah, test? Exactly right. Yep. Do you, exactly. do you guys also check jumping in the frontal plane as well? Uh, yes. Like a, like a, like a lateral RSI, like an R, yeah, like a, yeah. Like a well, box well, maybe not. I think it might just be straight up and down. Um, because I don't think our force plates are are synced up that way. We have three separate plates, but I don't think they're synchronized. So I think we just went straight up and down. Right. Okay. For I do. You know, if you use if you you can even um the, the force plates are great for testing force. Um the the jump mat that gives you just contact time, that's great to get an RSI from by just um we have them we have them step off a very small platform very small um to simulate putting pressure into the ground and then we have them um do a hiding kind of off the back leg with a tape measure and we see where they mm -hmm. land with the left leg and then we take that and we divide the the distance by contact time and it oh, okay. gives us it gives us a number and um i did a study year a couple years ago of all division 1 pitchers i went to like four or five major schools and we did these tests and 5.1 seems to be the number that most division one guys that throw hard that's a minimum of of uh, uh, an rsi number so you take the you take the contact time um <clears throat> and it's dividing the distance jumped in meters you convert the inches to meters uh, i think okay. it's 0, 0. 0.02854 or something like that yeah. and then you could divide that by the contact time and it gives you a number and it also tells us you know if a guy's got a really low contact time that's going to mean that you know he doesn't really know how to land you yeah. know what i mean so he's in a phase 1 plyometric and then what we do is it allows us to bucket our guys in different plyometrics so phase 1 is working on deceleration phase 2 is starting to work on the amortization phase and phase 3 is starting to do it in a sport specific way so given everybody reactive hides when a guy doesn't know how to land yet is kind of teaching him how to move shitty you know what i mean so sure. that that's yeah, yeah, that's yeah. That's a good one. Um, if you if you want to talk about that later, you can call me and we can. It's a really, yeah. really. It's one no, of my big I, I, things. I, I, so then you go into the weight room and you test no, strength. That's good. Do you then go into the yeah, weight room? Yeah, and then he's obviously. Yep, yep. And then uh, he's also using that force plate also to check readiness too, because um, they're jumping every time. So he's got a pretty good idea where they're where they should be at. And if a guy comes in and he's suppressed on a day where he should be, you know ready to go. Um, there's no reason why you should be having any issues. He'll start getting personal and digging in there and asking personal questions. And so what movement does he do for that? It's the same one. It's on the force plate. Like they jump every time they come in, but they um, do like a CMJ jump. Yes, exactly. Okay. The and reason he sees, yeah, yeah, no, it should be pretty stable, right? I mean, that, that should be a relatively stable. It's number. a long, it, it's a long yeah. movement. So um, we use pogo jumps because then it's only CNS. There's no actual, you can't really worry about a discrepancy of the kid's movement pattern. And you can really find oh, exactly. out the, the, the tempo because it's a stiffness test and it, and it's, yeah. there's no, there's really no movement. That's, that's another uh, thing. 
But anyway, yeah, yeah. So that's great. Yep. And then and then Zach does a lot of uh, he's he's he, he's certified in functional range conditioning. So awesome. they do a lot of cars too. So like it's a, it's a lot of self assessment teaching the guys how to do you know a, a really good car so that they can find those sticky spots themselves and, and valuable kind of autonomy yeah. is valuable. Absolutely. So you do the assessment. Talk a bit because you you know you you're a strength and conditioning coach as well. It's it's amazing yep. that Iowa gets this pitching coach who can do all these things. It's a really, you know, it's 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 a fantastic th- position you're in here. Um, you're, you're a strength and conditioning coach as well. Uh, talk about a little bit how you marry that, um, what you know about that in the weight room and during assessments, and sometimes using it to adjust mechanics on the mound. In other words, how do you decide if a fix is better addressed by a movement drill or a specific cue mechanics wise? Yeah, we so. I take a, you, you mentioned autonomy. I think autonomy is, is really, really important. Um, we're flipping from a three-dimensional motion capture model at Iowa. We don't have our own lab. And so we we're we're relying on others to help us with that stuff. And when you get stuff, anyway, it hasn't been worked out. So we're going to flip to one of these uh, products out there. We're, we're talking to, you know, Jimmy Buffy at Reboot. And we're talk, we've talked to Mike Son at ProPitch AI. And, and what you're giving up in, um, you know, maybe the quality of the data, what you make up for is being able to collect that data a lot. <laughs> we can collect it way more often. In fact, we're going to put one of our managers, um, uh, Savannah Dennis, is going to be in charge of that. Like, just that her, her make for us is getting that collected. And so... So when we make a decision on on a guy like, okay, we think, you know, we want to make a, a nudge to this movement pattern. We want to improve that movement pattern. Um, uh, we're going to take a combination of the data that we collect, but also another kind of data that we collect is just like tons of conversations with the guys. So you have a question on here. I know that you wanted to talk about like, you know, how long do you wait before you make yeah. a change? And do, I kind of attack that. Do you wait until fall baseball's over? Yeah. We basically wait until fall baseball's over. That's a competitive period. You know, we're evaluating and that kid's trying to put his best foot forward. But you also want to jumpstart this process a little bit because it does take time. When If a guy's going to make a change to 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 something, the way he moves, and, you know, he could do it in the drill, that's fine. But can he do it on the mound with a hitter under stressful conditions? And that's when those movement patterns usually fall apart and they regress back to that old pattern. So for us, we want to kickstart that. So what I do is I break the fall up into multiple phases and each phase has a different movement focus and i just start at the start you know with the leg lift and we talk about hip loading and hinging and all that kind of stuff and then we we go into um you know the drift into foot plant and and all the things that go into that lots of teaching you know i say again videos powerpoints um i don't stray away i don't i don't i don't shy away from big words and teaching guys concepts that are related to anatomy muscle phys biomechanics, physics, I get into all that. I think if the more they understand um, and I do my job and teach it well, that helps them with intention later on down the road. But anyway, tons of different drills, lots of different things that we expose them to. um, And we encourage them. Here's a drill, right? Here's a drill that will, and this guy may have a great hinge, but he's going to go through this stuff anyway. Everybody's going to go through these different phases where that's what I was going to, that's what I was going to ask you. And how long are these phases? They're a couple of weeks, you know, and all I'm trying to get them to do is is ex- experiment and play with things. So get the baseball out of their hand, get the glove off their hand, put a PVC pipe on their shoulder or use medicine balls or use like the water balls or it doesn't matter. None of it's magic. It's, it's arbitrary in some cases. 
Um, but we want to expose them to lots of different drills. And then, and then this is the key for me. If you've ever read the talent code and yeah, you know, deep learning and, and having the kid be in the driver's seat with some of this stuff really does help them learn faster, um, is encouraging them to explore those, those patterns themselves and play around with like different things and talk to your peers and, Hey, what are you, what are you doing over there? What are you trying? And then what you see is that first of all, they shut their mouths and they, they get to work during our pre-throw stuff, like, cause they're really concentrating. And when a kid has a little breakthrough and they feel something that's when they feel it, they feel it like they know. And, and I'm not connected in, you know, I'm not hardwired into their central nervous system. So I don't know what they're feeling. And when they get when they give me the aha thing and it's like, Oh, that was really different. What I felt yeah. right there talking then about you, that. And then you're in chase it. Yeah, yeah, let's go. Let's chase that thing. And then, so I'm taking all that information plus the data that we're going to be collecting from our own biomechanical assessments. And you kind of marry that stuff together and then we're going to come up with their their brand new protocol at the end of that, their own individualized pre-throw program that will have some of that stuff built in there. So that's absolutely awesome. Um, you talked a bit, this 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 can lead right into this question. You talked a bit about the S2 cognitive test. I heard you talking about it yeah. in, a, in, yeah. an artic- in an article. Um, <clears throat> how do you deal, um, explain what the S2 cognitive test is and then how you deal with the results of that test. In Do you do it at the beginning so you can use it in this process that you're talking about? Yeah, yeah 100%. Yep. The cognition test, like there's two, two different tests, one for hitters, one for pitchers. And the one that the pitchers get is a little shorter. It's got five variables in there. And the one that the one that we're talking about is called, they, they call the variable motor control. And I believe the way, and I may be making a, you know, a little mistake here, but generally speaking, like if a guy scores really poorly on that particular variable and he's trying to make an adjustment to the way he moves, like don't expect that change to happen quickly. Right. Um, same thing. If it, if he's got a high score, you know, it, it, you can, you can, you can expect it to go quickly. So I actually don't really change my methods for getting them to change. I can just expect it to occur faster or slower. So when you're guys. dealing, so when you're dealing, and I, this question kind of relates to me too, cause I'm going to look into this. Cause this sounds like you, you had told me that it was gold for you. You, you, you said, love it. yeah. So this, this is something really great that I'm going to look into. Um, my question is when you're dealing with young um, you know, some of these guys are not the most confident guys in this in this day and age. How do you deal with your guys and telling yeah. one guy, listen, man, this is going to take you longer than 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 Joe. This is going to like, you know, or this is going to yeah. be. And then you've got a bunch of yeah. guys and you're you have to you have to change the pace for each guy. How does that how does that work? I mean, that's a I mean, that's exactly what I tell them. And I just like, look, it's not fair. Like such so guys out there that are taller than you. There's guys right. that are there that have, you know, longer fingers or can spin a breaking ball better. Like, so what? Like, what does that have to do with you? And how does that change what we're going to do on a daily basis to get to work? What's where where that where that test becomes very valuable is if I do have a guy that scores low and he's struggling and these changes aren't coming quickly, when he understands that about himself, he can can calm down a little bit and let his guard down. Because as as you know, one of the worst things that you can do is get four or five weeks into something where um, you're getting after it and you're going, 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 and the kid is not really seeing maybe the results. You know how that works. I mean, you can get yeah. along for a long time, and then all of a sudden you break through and you take off. That breakthrough might be around the corner. The worst thing you can do is like drop everything and start over. Yeah, the shoulders uh, slump, and you can see that you can just you can see the uh, yep. the excitement just go away when when that happens. It's that's yep. that's the main reason. I want to, um, you know, I think it helps. It seems like it helps you know, like, hey, man, 
<clears throat> maybe it's maybe this isn't maybe we're not taking the right path. This guy scored high and he's still not getting it. Hundred percent. That's that's fantastic. So Iowa's eleven point eight strikeouts per nine innings were second nationally to Florida State's twelve. That means a lot of swing and miss numbers, and that's one of your specialties. You're doing something right. Uh, please go through two of the biggest game changers in helping your young pitchers to get swings and misses. Well, the the big the first one is that is having a way to monitor. Like basically, <laughs> a guy shows up. And he throws all fall and you got all this, you got all this track man data on him and, and you're looking at it and you can see like, yeah, he's doing, he's doing, a, you've also got some data you've got, um, he's going to probably throw, you know, um, around 10 innings in the fall. So you've got some pitches there that you can analyze and what he threw for strikes, what he got whiffs on. So you're getting an idea kind of like what his, what his arsenal, or at least how he uses his arsenal. Yeah. Um, but having a way to take that his his slider as it exists right now let's say he was getting like a 20 percent whiff rate and he was getting some chase and and it was a pretty good pitch for him in the fall um you need a way to go to to, to look at that pitch and go if we did x y or z to that it's going to get better and and be confident in that because you're going to take seven weeks like when we're done in the fall our developmental block that the, for me the most important seven weeks of the year is that that block that we do where some guys go on a velocity phase some guys do pitch design only and some guys do um a combo of velocity and pitch design um we have seven weeks to like make a difference in your arsenal and we need to be confident that the changes we make are going to make you better and we want the guy to be confident because if he's confident he's going to work harder he's going to be more intentful with everything he does and he's going to buy in and just like you know when when there's a sense of autonomy and and a sense of control and they really feel like this is going to help me it does wonders for for their development. They just develop faster. They just do. Um, and so that's a big part of that. Then you just need to have some, uh, you know, um, some, some, some more, what, what I would refer to as optimization. Um, we we're going to make that slider better, but we need to make sure that we're, I'm doing my due diligence and I'm using that slider in a way that squeezes every bit of effectiveness out of that pitch. So whether that is, you know, how often should we throw it? What counts should we throw it in? Um, where should we be throwing it? Like these are all these are all questions that you you need to understand about each guy so that you're you're not misusing that slider and and um you're you're getting as much swing and miss out of it as you as you absolutely can. Um and I, have the a last piece, I, I got a question yeah, for you in regards to that. When you're yeah. analyzing that data, that that ball movement data, um, do you I you I know you and you're pretty thorough, so you're you're probably pulling up a lot of major league baseball data on where guys sit as far as the most uh you know most major league baseball guys where they sit in this range right. do you do you ever use the concept okay well if everybody sits in this range why don't we try to get right on the outside of that range yeah, because that's outlier. something that yeah because that's something guys really hitters really don't see then that much if most of the guys sit in this range what is your thought process on that yeah i mean and when when we have a guy with something weird um we we you want to kind of keep it weird if that if that yeah, makes sense exactly you want those outlier type things um no that's that's a really good point um and and we've had some guys we haven't like purposely gone out and done this um it hasn't been deliberate but we tend to have guys that are all over the spectrum from arm angles as well. Like we have a really 
wide variety of guys on our staff. At least last year we did. We lost a few guys, but we had a wide variety of guys on the staff and 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 a lot of different guys. There's guys with steep fastballs, guys with flat fastballs, guys with sweeping sliders, guys with hard sliders, guys that throw, you know, more sidearm, guys that are over the top. So we had a wide variety of things and I think we could throw a lot of different looks out there too. Um Great. but yeah, so making sure that that arsenal is getting used um in a way that is going to, you know, you don't want to be the reason why the guy's not having success, your pitch calling. And the, and that that's like a worst case scenario for me. Um, if he's getting hit, I want to just be because he got hit, not because it's, you know, something that I'm doing. Um, and I guess the last little piece there, like with our pitch design, we, uh, when we establish that we want to do something, we want a guy's arsenal to change in a certain way, or we want to make an adjustment to a, a particular pitch. We've had some success getting guys to do that. And I think that it comes down to just some really old school principles, which is, you know, really clear goal setting, really clear processes. Um, but one thing that we've done that I think has been, that's been pretty cool is, like I said, we have all these managers and they're so into it. They're, they're really into it. And they, they want our guys to, to do great. Um, as much as the, as the guys do, they're really invested. And we will have managers there on, on the spot with clipboards and all of their, metrics as they sit are on this clipboard all of their pitch design goals are on there everything that they're trying to achieve and they just sit in the back pocket of that pitcher and anything he says they're just like writing documenting writing everything down if any interactions that i have with a pitcher they're writing that stuff down as soon as the grip changes or they try something else or a cue they're just asking questions and writing everything down and then that stuff gets that stuff gets captured and organized so that when the guy comes in for the next session, he can kind of read a recap of everything that he'd already done. He's got access to all those videos on his phone whenever he wants them. Everything's organized by date and his name and all the data is overlaid on those electronic videos. So they have all that stuff. And so you create a, a framework and a system where guys have access to their data, not just the numbers, but like their thoughts and their feelings and their cues and and um, and then they have access to it. And then a little bit of autonomy, I'm just telling you, as goes a as long way. Feel, oh boy! As soon as they feel like they're in control a little bit, it's game over. That kid's going to get better. That's going to bring me to my next question. So, when when our guys come in in the summer, our college guys that are here all summer, um, getting ready for school, or when our high school kids come in in September if they're not playing fall ball or in November, <clears throat> first thing we do is exactly like you. We do a movement assessment on the table. We take them onto the force plates and jump mat to test power output in the lower half. Then we um, take them into the weight room. Uh, we check strength and conditioning. We check their get their one rep maxes using bar speed. And then we take them on a Proteus machine to check, to check actually force and acceleration, power and acceleration in, in the frontal plane. After that, we crunch the numbers just like you. We look at we look at four camera video analysis and the mocap, and we decide we try to marry everything into a program. My question to you is: We then create a program for the athlete in the tunnel, and we pro, we we pro, uh, create a program for the athlete in the weight room because it's like a closed loop. So they they work together. Um, as far as in the tunnel. Do you sit down with every athlete and let them know, as, as far as we're talking about autonomy, do you let them know one-on-one um, -on -one, um, what their issues are and make sure that they understand them? Because I think that autonomy, when we do that with our guys, they immediately, I can see that the, the time it takes to make changes is, is so much shorter. Yeah, you, no. Yeah, so remember like that six weeks in the fall, I, I teach the whole 
that whole gamut of what I think is really great movement patterns. And so, and again, that's not us that they, they can look, you can have three guys that look totally different, but that all hinge well, you know what I mean? So yeah. it's understanding those underlying, those underlying movement patterns that we want to see. So there's a lot of teaching that goes on there. There's a lot of conversations that is happening. And when we get to the end of the fall, there's usually like a, we both kind of understand one another and we're both like, they're kind of waiting for what I think they need to work on. Um, and they're usually right on the same page with me, but I, I, I constantly, I, I, I started sending out weekly reports to our guys. The original, the original, uh, concept I was calling, going to call it TLC reports, just tender loving yeah. care reports where I took five guys, six guys a week, just put them in three groups and every, every week, just switch out six and the next six and they would get a really detailed report not nothing nothing and again this can be way, way more efficient what it looks like is me sitting at my computer and just like wham and i just start typing all my thoughts about how this kid did this week and i'll pull in his data from his scrimmage and how you know strike throwing swing and miss and all like basically his performance and then and all the way down to like how hard i think he's working in the weight room things that i noticed like how uh attention to detail he is just trying to pump him up and and build that relationship. But I just started yammering away. And what I found is I did it the first time. And I was like, well, I don't, these other 14 guys, I want to, I want to, I don't want those guys. I want to, I've got thoughts about them. I want to give them to, I just started doing them every guy, every week. So every guy, every week I sit on my computer and I, it takes me a little bit of time, but they love them. Like they right. can wait to get these reports because it's not something that I hit a button and spit out of a computer. It's, no, it's man, like, that's customized. That's really great. That's like going right. to an expensive restaurant. Right. <laughs> and then so those guys get that. But the, the the more important thing is our catchers get those reports. Yeah. So they can read that about what I think about the pitchers. And then the strength coach gets those reports and he reads them. And our trainer gets those and he reads them. And um and and I often will say, you gotta email me back and you've got to respond. You gotta give me something. Yeah. So it I know it's be sinking all in. like, I agree with you or more importantly, if you disagree with me, that's where we need to, that's where we really need to do it. But you have to demonstrate to me that you've read that thing, you've processed it, and then you've got some thoughts and you got to reply that back to me. Well, where this goes with the strength coach piece is when we're in that phase where we're really trying to get guys to understand a hinge, our strength coach knows that. And, and we meet every week, once a week, um, Zach and myself and Jake, our athletic trainer, we meet for an hour and a half and we make sure that we're synced up and it's one program. Like we have a program. There's the throwing aspect of that. There's the, the technical piece where we're trying to bump movement patterns around. There's the strength and conditioning piece. There's all the work that they're doing pre-throwing correctives and all of the stuff they're doing post-throw. And the three of us sit together and we marry that. Like that's got to, that has to be like this. And it's all it all hinges on the decision that the pitcher makes. So when we start out in the fall, it's like, okay, nuns, you've got a live set on Friday. Okay. You're throwing an inning, fill out your survey. What are you doing the other seven days of the week? I want to see, how are you going to plan your week? When are you throwing your pen? Um, well, I like to throw two pens, Robin. Okay. Well, when are you throwing those two pens? Okay. Well, that's fine. So they got to go into the survey and they got to drag down. They got to tell me everything that they're doing every day of the week. That goes in a big spreadsheet. That goes to the manager. So we know how to organize every day's practice. We know who's throwing pens. Strength coach gets it because when a kid says, I'm throwing a pen today, what he's also saying is, 
I'm going to do max effort sprints today. I'm going to really get after the nervous system and I'm going to the weight room and and I know Zach's going to, you know, whoop the shit out of me in the weight room. Um, and then the guys that choose, chose a recovery that day, those guys are going to do yoga. They're not lifting. Zach knows they're not coming. Right. The post throw routine is going to be different. Jake, cause Jake knows what they're doing. They've already, he knows what they've done from a throwing perspective. So the, the post throw activities are going to change too. So the whole day looks is designed around that decision that that guy makes that more thing about <laughs> sorry at the start of the week what i'm doing that day so and so your guys all, your guys that are throwing pens you're basically consolidating all that stress of the week into the one stress. day so exactly. it, when they're when they're when they got a high intent day throwing they're, they're going high intent in the weight yep. room very very yep. similar to what we do um yeah, you, you so guys start have that recovery cycle as soon as possible and, and guys going. exactly and guys so you have you have guys that come into the weight room uh it's not like a classic, uh, you know, college setting where everyone's got to work out and we're doing that workout today because different guys are on different schedules and you can't really, you can't. It's all over the board. You'll burn guys out if you do that. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Great, man. This, I like, you've really, um, I've written a bunch of stuff down because I think it's just fantastic with you, what you're doing. And it's, it relates so much to what we do here that um, I can use some of this stuff. Um Getting off the topic of strength and conditioning and biomechanics, and um, how has the explosion of the transfer portal and the one-year waiver rule changed your opinion and/or process for recruiting high school athletes? Oof, it's tough. <laughs> I feel really bad for high yeah, school kids. It's tough. It's tough. It's tough. And um, yeah, I admit, honestly, it makes me a little worried um, for Talk the about that. What that's going to look like, and and. Um, I think it's great that kids are making money. I re I really do. I really do. I don't want to make it sound like I'm a curmudgeon and I don't think kids should get paid because I think they should get paid. I don't have no any problem with that. But it has to be there has to be some regulation because what's happening right now is the separation between what you would consider, you know, the the top, you know, programs. When I'm not talking wins and losses, I'm talking on resources. Yeah. The re yeah. the programs that have all the resources at the top. The big um, football, the big football teams. <laughs> that gap, yeah, that gap's getting bigger. That gap's getting bigger, and and the the illusion. There's always been an, an at least an illusion. This is the curmudgeon coming out of me now. There's always been at least an illusion of fairness, right? Like, hey, this this we love the Cinderella story, the the, the mid major team that comes out of nowhere and 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 upsets the, the 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 giant in a super regional and gets the World Series. That stuff's gonna that it's gonna be hard. You're gonna see that less and less and less and less now. It's it's getting it's getting wild. Um, you know, the NIL was never, ever, it's pretty explicit that it's not, not to be used to entice recruits. And right. it's like, okay, okay. Yeah, that's happening. No, the, the, the number of guys that I've talked to this year and the, some of the deals that they're telling me that they're getting are obscene. I don't want to even, wow. I don't even want to repeat them, but you're talking like lots of money, like in some cases, life-changing money. Wow. That's that's the kind of money that kids are getting offered to go to a particular school. And so you're starting to see talent being collected and hoarded. Um, I'm noticing an imbalance. I can't tell you how many guys, how many pitching coaches are out there still looking for arms in late July. That doesn't happen at D1s. Like your yeah. roster's set. Yeah. Guys are still trying to fill gaps for the fall. So there's an imbalance. Something's happened. There's been a shift. Like there's there's more programs now that are doing the let's bring 70 guys to campus in the fall. And you can do it because they're not on baseball money. They're just getting NIL deals. And so there's nothing holding them to that kid either. And so 
the scary thing about the 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 one the one time portal use then now becomes okay. So I I use my portal, my my get out of jail free card. I go in the portal the one time. Now I'm now I'm where I'm at, and if I make a bad decision and I go someplace where as I look around and I'm just like I'm one of like you know 18 left handed pitchers that were yeah. brought in this year. You know what I mean? Then then now what are you supposed to do? Yeah, and You're not stuck. to mention morale. You know, not right? not just to a kid's morale. So it, it's discouraging. Um, it, uh, I understand why, why, and, and again, the NIL thing is like, that was a, that was a lot, that was a lawsuit. That's a legal issue. That's why kids are getting money. And again, I have no problem with a kid making money, none whatsoever. I have three kids in college, believe me. Um, yeah. I don't have a problem with it, but it can't be, it's gotta be regulated. Look, we got to do better. And it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna hurt. It's gonna hurt the game in my opinion, if we don't do something about it. Awesome. And, and last question for you. Um, list the top three traits you generally look for in a new recruit to help these guys out that can maybe help them yeah. cut, through, cut through the mustard a bit. Yep. So we're checking the boxes right off the bat. Like obviously, just like anything, when you when you when you're um uh there's gonna be certain things that catch your eye. So things like velocity, the ability to really spin a breaking ball is gonna be things that are gonna kind of catch your eye and get you looking essentially um other things height you know stature size the way they move you know you see a guy who just moves extremely well a really clean arm easy you know it comes out easy like there's all these like these like really quantify like some of them are quantifiable some of them are, are it's qualitative in nature but like just that that first view of what you see like that's the thing that kind of tracks as soon as we figure that out the second thing that we want to know about is how that kid actually performs like we're looking at like actual statistics like that's still mad like in the college game that's still important kids have to throw strikes they have to hold runners you can't just have guys stealing every base like there's a competitive piece like that they have to understand can they can they throw can they spin a secondary pitch in there when they're behind in the count do they throw a ton of strikes um are they a winner like do they just tend to win games they just beat people they're competitive so there's just like this performance aspect that we look at and then the last piece is you know what kind of person are they and are they going to fit our culture um, are they going to come in and are they selfish? Um, so we're talking to their coaches, we're talking to their, um, you know, all the different people down there about, about this kid's personality and, and he's a good teammate and, and, um, he's, he's unselfish and, and he's a hard worker and he wants to be good. And like, give me some evidence of that. Show me, give me some examples. Tell me some stories about this kid that makes me, you know, that, that shows that he's going to come in and, and fit right into our, into our group, because we have a, a we have a, an awesome culture at Iowa, um, not just on the pitching, but like the whole program. That's that's Coach Heller's deal. It's like, um, and he's got a history of doing it. If you're, I mean, he's the, the most talented guy and you are a bad teammate and you've been brought in and you are uncap- incapable of making that adjustment, you have to go. You can't yeah. stay. Yeah. So um, you just have to be a good, you have to be a good teammate in our play. I talk to our pitchers about that all the time. It's like, look, there's going to be, there's going to be times of the year where you're not contributing as much as you want to. Okay. And your teammate is, and you want to be out there contributing and you're not. And when that guy does something awesome and he strikes out the side, you all need to be you, racing to be the first guy to get fence. behind him. Yeah. You got to have to get behind. If you can't, you have to go. You can't be here if you can't do that. So those are those are the big things. You know, it's ability. Obviously, there's a there's an entry point of ability that that you need to have in order to, to get in there. And then after that, it's it's stuff that's in your control. It's how competitive are you? What kind of teammate are you? Um, 
you control the running game, you throw strikes, all that kind of stuff. This has been fantastic, Robin. Um, we're talking with Robin Lund, assistant coach with the University of Iowa baseball program. I have one last question for you because when I first met you five years ago, another thing we both had in common was we loved to cook. And I always see oh, on yeah. your, I always see on your Twitter on your Twitter feed, you're uh, you're 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 showing what you're cooking. What's your what's your favorite thing to make? What's your favorite thing to make? And is it is it the favorite your favorite meal? Uh, my so one of I, I mean I like I like I like I like there's a lot of things I like to do. Me too. Um, it changes, but now that I, I'll, t- I'll I'll answer this because it's summertime. Um, so in the summertime, obviously we eat a lot of fresh things. We're doing a lot of grilled vegetable salads. We're doing a lot of those kinds of things. But the thing that my kids go absolute bananas for is this burger that I had it, uh, on, on Pearl street in Boulder, Colorado. And I ate this burger and it is the kind of sandwich that pisses you off when you eat it because it's so good. You don't make yeah. a burger that good. And you know what I mean? And you're getting a little bit jealous and tell me about so anyway, that. I went back, I went back the next day and I had it again and I analyzed and I probed and I asked questions and got a bunch of information and I went home and I started replicating it. And so, so when we get after it on burger night, like we'll often bake our own, you know, buns, we'll make our own hamburger buns. Um, I will, I make bacon. Like, so I, I like doing like charcuterie. So like I'll cure my own pork belly and make my own bacon, but a day burger's got dates that are softened and the tons of like caramelized onions and lots of lots of garlic and you make a sauce out of these dates so it's kind of sweet and then the burger goes on that and then there's a big blob of warm goat cheese which is awesome and then bacon and then roasted poblano peppers that is a burger that will change your life and that is i'm going to i'm I'm going to i'm going to um text you later for that recipe I'm gonna, i have it i typed it all out again it's I've made burger a hundred times and i've been fine-tuning it and i typed up the recipe i will email it to you mine is uh mine is uh chicken cacciatore for the same reason my my family goes bonkers and whenever i have guests over for dinner and i really want to floor them with something the chicken cacciatore i think is um really you know great with the with the mushrooms and the bell peppers and the onions and yeah in the, in the tomato sauce with the chicken it's just like so I always, I always, you know, that's another little kinship I think I have with you with the food, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, if you ever but, visit us out here in Iowa, you have an open invitation, by the way. If you ever came out here, I've got plenty of room at my house and I'll, I'll cook for and you. And we're so. going to eat, man. We're going to eat. <laughs> We've been talking with Robin Lund. Robin, how can they reach you? Um, I'm accessible. All my contact information is on our website. If you go to... um. Uh, the, you just Google Iowa baseball. Um, I'm on Twitter uh, at Lunderton. Just my it was my best friend in college is his nickname for me, and I I picked it. It's kind of silly, but um, and uh, my DMs are open, so you can you can reach me that way too. Awesome, and you can reach me at at Nunzio Signore on Twitter, um, at RPP underscore baseball on Twitter and Instagram. That's my facility, and our website is www.rocklandpeakperformance.com. Um, you can also check out my book on velocity-based training, how to apply science, technology, and data to maximize performance. It's on Amazon and it's uh, published by Human Kinetics. Robin, thanks so much for being here. And thank you all for tuning in again. And we'll see you on the next time around.